a typical startup, you, you do your best to get your product out to, to everybody and you know it's not going to work but you just get it out there, right? Because you're trying to raise money, blah, 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 right? You, you don't care that much about the consequences of a bad product. Like we, we care a lot. We feel really good about how useful this product is to be applied in other places where there are large numbers of people that need to collectively be safe. You are the factor. All right. All right. Welcome to the factor. This is episode four. I'm your host, Sonny Mayuba. I'm a founder who's experienced gut wrenching failure and the glory of taking a startup idea from napkin to NASDAQ. And now I work with Sparrow Ventures, a venture capital firm that is backing the next generation of great founders with a focus in three key areas well being work and purpose, and human connection. Sparrow is Latin for hope, and today's guests are utilizing science and technology to give our society more hope during this pandemic. So meet Cynthia Young and Sunita Parvu. Sunita is an economist, a Fulbright scholar, a founding fellow at NFX, and has held leadership roles in multiple technology startups with exits exceeding $6 billion. You know, I only did a billion, she did six, so she outdid me again. Cynthia is an investor, an advisor, and an executive leader with roles at SoftBank, Google, and where we met, Cafe X, the robotics barista and bartender. Oh, and she's a Wharton triple major. I only did a Wharton double major. Actually, that's not even true. I didn't even make it through, barely made it through high school. Wharton triple major. So as you can see, these are brilliant people. And together, they are the CV Key Project. So Sunita is head of product. Cynthia is go to market. But like all great startups, they probably wear a ton of hats that we're going to learn about today. Um, today's discussion couldn't be more timely. So audience, place your questions in the Zoom chat. And if chosen, you can ask live on The Factor. And why is this show called The Factor? Because Throughout my journey as a founder, an employee, an investor, an advisor, I've seen it multiple times. There are remarkable people who are the factor that changed the trajectory. So we had somewhat of a global position. Um, today's guests are just that. So let's dive in. Cynthia and Sunita, welcome. You are the factors. <laughs> Glad you guys are here. Welcome. Great to be here. Good. Likewise. Awesome. And look, Cynthia and Sunita, you're welcome to stay off mute. We're going to get into a really lively discussion. Like I said, we have a really awesome live audience. Um, and I hear we're in a pandemic. Is that true? Depending on the news source you watch. But yes, we are absolutely 100% in the middle of a pandemic. So it's official. We're in the pandemic. And be before we jump into CV Key and what it is, just personally, I'd love to hear how this is, this is a, let's start with you, Cynthia. This is a change. I know when we met, you were working on one of the best robotics projects I've ever seen. I, it, probably the best I've ever seen, Cafe X. And um, you're working with SoftBank, you're a multinational, you've been all over, you were on the road like crazy, and then the pandemic hits. How has this changed your life personally? 
It's changed a lot. I mean, one of the biggest changes, uh, you know, since we initially met is that I actually moved uh, from San Francisco to Austin, Texas, um, ending eight years of long distance with my wife. And so we went from long distance conversations, you know, like every single day to uh, being in the same condo 24 seven. And that's a very, very big change personally, in addition to uh, all the professional changes that have happened along. Yeah, that's a big change. Um, same thing happened to me too. I was I was commuting on an airplane all the time, and and then my wife was like, "Don't you have a job? Can you get out of here?" So, <laughs> how's it been on the relationship? Tougher, better? I mean, it's better overall. I know, but it's a difference. Uh, surprisingly change. great. I, I think oh, initially, uh, you know, we were a little apprehensive because eight years is a long time to be doing long distance, and I think we were wondering like, maybe this is why the relationship works because we're not in the same space. Uh, but Ashley turned out to, uh, I think, be much, much better uh, than we anticipated, which is great because we're married. So it definitely bodes well for the long term. Gotcha. So you're coming in to The Factor from Austin, Texas. Welcome. So glad you're here. Sunita, how has this pandemic and the change of environment affected you personally? Yeah, so, I mean, I think when it started, so I, we have family all over the world. So we had somewhat of a global perspective on it. So mm -hmm. India, as well as New Zealand which is where, where I grew up. And, uh, and then of course here in the Bay area and it, for a long time, I would say it felt surreal. Like it really felt like this really cannot be happening. And of course it is. And I mean, it, some things have been actually really positive. Like we have found in our house that we actually like hanging out with each other so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is great. It's great, great to know. Whereas, you know, before we were so busy, always out on the road and at activities and at social events. So that, that, that's, that's, that's been the silver lining, but, you know, overall just really grateful that we're, that we're in a position where, you know, we feel pretty, pretty good. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm really glad that I'm able to spend some of my focus on external rather than internal issues. Yeah, it's, probably a very good realization that the family likes each other. That's a good thing <laughs> that has happened. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I think we well, welcome to you. We, we accidentally bought a puppy as well. Oh, that's fun. How's, how's uh, house training going? It's going great. It's really going great. Oh, really? Should have done it years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs are great. All right. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you're here. So Sunita, kick us off. Um, tell us about CB key. Uh, Tell us for the brilliant educated minds out there. Also tell us for the fifth graders out there, everything about CB Key, its mission and how it's structured. Sure. So, so CB Key was the, the, the genesis for CB Key came from Brian McClendon, who's the CEO and founder. And he was the, one of the founders of Google Earth and Google Maps as well. He's brilliant, brilliant engineer and a, and a phenomenal person. And he had been looking at this pandemic really early back in January, well before I think it was mainstream news in the media. And he kind of pulled this team together to look at the issue of how would we reopen? So what, what we realized was that this lockdown was going to happen and that everybody would social distance for a while, but that's really tough, right? Economically and socially and emotionally, and that we would need to move into a reopening. But as we reopened because of the nature of how the virus spreads, 
that reopening would lead to increased cases and cases spiking and then you know, a cycle of opening and closing, which, was, which would be really hard. And so we set our mission as, as being one which we didn't really see addressed a lot around helping communities reopen safely to try to reduce the outbreaks, to reduce the peaks, to enable you know, businesses, colleges, communities to, to remain open longer. And that's, okay. that's really what, what we're focused on. Oh, that's interesting. So CVKey was born out of the observation that there wasn't a reopening strategy or there wasn't a good plan? Was it out of frustration? I think that there was, like maybe there wasn't a fully fleshed reopening strategy, but also understanding something about human behavior and, and, the, and the nature of these kinds of, cri this, this particular crisis is difficult because uh, people who have the virus, right, they don't fall so sick that they're lying in bed, right? They're, they're walking around and you've probably seen all those videos where there's little dots moving around and one of them is a person who was infected and then slowly that dot moves around and it jiggles around the screen and eventually all the dots have turned red, right? That's, that's the problem with this disease. And mm -hmm. so that's a really hard, hard situation to manage. That's what the, what the, the, the disease people are telling us. And that's, that's what we see in reality as well. Um, and so, so, you know, we, we predicted that people would get tired, right? They would get tired of, of a locking down that they would need to work, right? They, they would need, they would need to have continue, right? Continue with a lot of the activities that they were going to do before. And so, you know, we were looking at a collective action problem, right? How do we collectively behave in ways that keep the community safer and has the benefit for all of us that the community can stay open. One thing that I would add to that is that, you know, Brian uh, was sort of very involved in, uh, you know, the University of Kansas. You know, he's from Kansas originally and returned there after, you know, leaving both Google and Uber. Um, and, and so, you know, he was being consulted, uh, actually, by a lot of people, um, you know, asking him, like, hey, you know, as, as, you know, a technological expert, you know, as someone, you know, who is, you know, deeply concerned about the state of our local community, you know, what would you recommend that we do? And I think that actually also inspired a lot of his thinking. That's interesting. So, 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 okay, so he was called upon. So it wasn't just out of a frustration or an observation. He was called upon because this thing was so big. It, it wasn't just, hey, let's leave it to the government. We need brilliant minds to approach this problem in multiple different ways. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, definitely part of it is self-driven because it's hard to kind of look at this type of situation and not feel, you know, an inner desire to serve. But at the same time, I think people were also calling on his expertise to be like, hey, like, all of us are, are looking for a solution. Um, you know, you as, as someone who is, you know, kind of a, an expert in the field and someone who is you know, very well respected in the community, you know, what do you have to say about this? That, that's a great point. You know, I think everybody, I know myself, we, we all, everybody feels like we want to do something, maybe not sure where to turn, a lot of unknowns, a lot of misinformation, a lot of information. You got involved and you're working on it, uh, both of you. So I want to hear from each of you. Let's start, with, let's start with you, Cynthia. What caused you to join this mission? I mean, you know, I, I talked about your guys' 
bios and pedigree. You can do anything at any company in any nation in the world, and you've chosen to do this. Why are you doing this? What caused you to get involved? Yeah, so uh, a number of reasons, um, you know, partly I'd actually worked with, you know, Brian and, and Monik, you know, one of the other co-founders of CVG uh, back in uh, Google, um, you know, about more than a decade ago, I guess at this point, I feel very old. Um, <laughs> but we had all worked together on this project called Ground Truth, which was essentially rebuilding the world's maps from scratch. So we had already had a history of working together, you know, uh, collaboratively. And when I left Google, um, you know, after spending five years there, I had actually originally left to go into social enterprise. So I, you know, I spent some time, you know, launching this social enterprise accelerator that was based on a ship, traveling with the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Um, and then it was only really after that that I got into robotics. And that was kind of, you know, with this idea of wanting to make a tangible difference in the world. And, you know, so when the, the pandemic hit, you know, I think I, like many others, you know, felt kind of helpless and, and you know, was really trying to figure out, like, you know, what could I as an individual do? And this sort of intersection of, you know, doing something that could materially impact the real world, while honestly working with some of like the best people I've ever worked with, you know, that was just a really great opportunity. And it was, you know, definitely something I wanted to get involved with. That's great. Sunita, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think a really similar motivation. I had you know, worked in a lot of different companies, software companies, uh, commercial ventures. And last year, I had decided to work on something where, I, you know, similar to what you said, you realize that you have, you have all these, this experience, this network, and this tremendous amount of resources at your disposal, disposal and you have this one short life, you know, put it to good use. And so I had actually been working on, on a problem dear to my heart, which is the future of work, which is how are people going to remain productive and valuable? And that's, that's a whole other, you know, a whole other talk that we could do. But that's, what, that's where I was when this pandemic hit. I was, I was deeply working on that problem. And then the pandemic hit. And of course, my attention went entirely to that. And I was really reading a lot of the bad news and projecting from that and I was feeling really like what can I do donating to donating to food banks and things like that but you know, I didn't really have a way an outlet and so when Manik approached me he's the chief product officer when he approached me he he explained what who this team was I had not worked with with Cynthia or Brian before and and I realized that in this particular problem there are going to need to be multiple solutions, right? Multiple creative solutions that are going to be invented on a blank sheet of paper and willed into existence. And it would you know, require tenacity and teamwork and you know, a willingness not to give up. And you know, I saw all of that in this team. And so, uh, so I, 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 I stopped what I was doing and I, and I jumped into this and Initially, I thought I'd spend a couple of months, but here I am quite a few months later. And, and I, I really feel that this has been uh, such a valuable way to make a difference. It's like the Avengers. <laughs> I mean, everybody is a superhero on this team. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, so, for, okay, for, for an audience who doesn't know how it actually works, uh, well, first off, audience, I encourage you, go to CV Key Project, Take, watch the video, take a look and learn about it. But Sunita, kind of walk us through how this works, not only in pilot, but 
the vision? Like, how is this going to work in society? How is, how is CV key going to help us reopen? Like, take us through it. Absolutely. So, so one of the problems we have is how do we all go about our day to day lives, making small decisions that add up to making a big difference. And so what the app does is it allows you to have sort of a small check in on your phone daily to understand your symptoms and your exposure. And based on that, get advice on what you should do next, where you should go and where you shouldn't go. And so basically we have the spectrum from blue to red. Red means you've tested positive. Blue means you're fine. Yellow means you have symptoms or exposure. Orange means you've been, you have both symptoms and exposure. And based on those, you, you either you know, stay at home much more and are much more cautious or you go about, go about your daily life and go to work or go to the grocery store. And so that's, that's sort of in a nutshell what the app has. It also has really targeted local information, which is coming from community leaders around what, if you, you know, a small percentage of people, you know, the two to 5% in any community are going to have symptoms, exposure, or actually test positive. And those are the people that really need a lot of help because they're the ones that are, have to stay at home and isolate for 14 days or stay at home for 10 days and wait to see if their symptoms develop. And so, you know, we're also looking at how do you help the small percentage of people when, when they get tagged with the, hey, you're it, you know, you need to be cautious, like that's a burden, right? It's a burden on an individual and we're looking at how can we all together make that burden a little easier for some people. I mean, I know like for me, you know, we have a guest bedroom. If I had to isolate, got a guest bedroom and a guest bathroom, all good, right? That's not the case for, for everybody. Right. So that's, that, that, that's what we're doing. So there's sort of two products, the app, which is super user-friendly and it doesn't take a lot of your attention each day, but provides a lot of value. And then we have this admin console through which community leaders publish relevant content to their community members. And on, the whole thing sits on something which is really novel, which is a privacy architecture, which Brian had envisaged and which the engineering team built. Uh, a lot of solutions developed with, without privacy in mind at all because this, this pandemic is so urgent, right? The rush to build a software product was you know, phenomenal and you know, kudos to all those teams. We had, I would say, a North Star around privacy which, which is privacy is a fundamental right. And we should build software where in our, in our desire to help each other, we don't, we don't lose, you know, lose, lose our own personal privacy. So the whole product is built for all data to remain on your phone. It's not in a cloud anywhere. Uh, it's, you know, if there's a scale of like one to 10 on privacy, what we've built is an 11. And wow. you know, I really encourage people to, you know, read our technical paper, but it really, you know, it was like, that is a non-starter. You know, I'm a consumer product person, right? And, you know, we're, we're used to like, no, is this button working? And where are users getting stuck in the app? Like, I don't have any of that data to build this product. It's uh, the, the data for the user is on their phone and it, they, they get value out of it. And, and there's no, there's, there's, there's really no, 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 no privacy concerns at all. That's phenomenal. So Cynthia, so there's a, there's a mobile application 
by the way, I think it was brilliant that, that y'all went to the mobile device, very intimate to people. So it was very smart. So there's a mobile application where people can do a symptom checker and understand information of where is it safe to go out? What are the policies locally? And then there are policy leaders or local experts inputting information for citizens. So Cynthia, we, you know, in our consumer world, we call that a marketplace, right? So talk to me about how are you getting adoption? So first off, how many business leaders are using this and how many citizens are using the symptom checker and, and the, the device? Um, so I haven't actually looked at the, the most recent numbers, but, you know, our first pilot uh, is actually with the University of Kansas. So again, uh, you know, very opportunistically, you know, partly out of, uh, you know, Brian's relationships there. Um, but also because they were actually incredibly uh, great development partner, you know, as we were launching, you know, launch and iterate is very much the mantra of Silicon Valley. So as we were launching initially, you know, we had an idea based off of the research that we had done about, you know, what would be like the best sort of um, product to build ultimately, but it's really through working closely with partners. Uh, like a university where they have a kind of, you know, good cross section of society, you know, you have everyone from like 18 year olds, you know, freshmen all the way to like, you know, 60, 70 year old, you know, emeriti professors um, and, and really getting that good, uh, good uh, cross section of society involved in the building of this app, I think helped us ultimately make it much better and much more robust for, you know, further kind of go to market efforts. That's great. So how, what do you envision? Do you envision every single, do you envision Google level penetration? Every small business uses it and every citizen in America or the world is using it? Or do you, is it just universities or is it just certain communities? You know, tell me about what you envision and how you plan to kind of get people to adopt it. Absolutely. Um, so ultimately, I think, you know, with any kind of application, we like to reach as many users as possible. So, you know, however many people, you know, is, are affected by this pandemic, you know, we would like to do our part to the extent our solution is helpful for them and get it in their hands. That said, as with any product, you know, you need to start somewhere. And so our initial target market, uh, you know, was really centered around universities um, because they have kind of a, a critical mass of, you know, um, a very highly concentrated population, relatively tech savvy, um, you know, that can be easily communicated with and marketed to um, so that you can kind of, you know, launch and iterate relatively quickly. And then the idea was that, you know, as we kind of gain broader penetration in a specific community and universities, by the way, are the bedrock of many local communities. You know, you know of many university towns, for example, it would then make sense to then extend the product to you know, the, the county that that university is situated in. And that is a combination of both a bottoms up kind of um, you know, local business approach, you know, working with like the local chambers of commerce, as well as a little bit more of a top down approach where we would you know, directly contact county officials. Working with governments is, of course, a much slower bureaucratic <laughs> process. And, and so, you know, these are kind of parallel paths. You know, you, you can't just do one or the other. We're pursuing multiple strategies at the same time. Okay, yeah. this is cool. Oh, go ahead, I mean, Sunita. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just build on that in, in the sense that, I mean, this is not, you know, so, you know, a typical startup, you, you do your best to get your product out to, to everybody and you know it's not going to work but you just get it out there, right? Cause you're trying to raise money and blah, 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 right? Um, and uh, you, you don't care that much about the consequences of a bad product. Like we, we care a lot. 
And so we spent the, so we just got started, but so we spent the first chunk doing privacy architecture. And the next chunk was taking our MVP product and rolling it out at KU. Uh, you know, it's an organization that, that runs seven days a week with long hours and all kinds of use cases. Um, you, know, all, all, you know, as Cynthia mentioned, like really a wide variety of people from the cafeteria and the janitorial staff to the students and the faculty. And so we've really fine-tuned the product there and we feel really good about how useful this product is to be applied in other places where there are large numbers of people that need to collectively be safe. And so, you know, that would be, you know, mm. downtown, you know, downtown areas where there are restaurants and retailers, it would be elder care facilities. If you look at the Johns Hopkins data about which are the riskiest places to go, you know, universities, universities are at the top of the list, so are schools. So the product has been built with that community deployment in mind, but we feel really good that at the point we're at, you know, we have a really strong product and we're ready now, I think, to build awareness and you, know, you can download it. You can download the app from the website and, you know, take a look at it. And if you're on the call and you're a community leader and you, you think that you would like to try this out, I mean, that's exactly what, what we want to have happen. It's free. So, you know, there's not really, we're not trying to sell it. It's, you know, if, if you feel like you could use it in downtown Santa Clara, go ahead and use it. That's great. Okay. So communities can actually adopt it themselves, reach out to CV key project and start to integrate it into their community. And let's go back to KU. So, so a student at KU or, you know, a professor at KU could use this and um, what have check, check their own symptoms, input some information, check their own symptoms. Um, the local sandwich shop could actually upload information and then what, how, how are those two coming together? Is, is the, is the professor showing the app at the sandwich shop to say, look, I'm COVID free or how's that work? Yeah. So that's actually really, really good question. And I think we, we, we talk about this so much that it had not crossed my mind to mention it, but you know, the privacy point is about your health status as well, right? So Sunny, you would symptom check and, and, you don't want everybody to know your business, right? You don't want, you don't want the sandwich shop or your employer or, you know, even your neighbors to know what your personal health status is. So, so what we do is use symptom check and that generates a pass, which is a QR code. And, and anybody else that's letting you into their venue, whether it's, you know, your, your kid's school or the university, they just use their phone to scan your, QR code. So it's just a scan of a QR code that says check and then you go on in. But none of your health information is visible in the QR code. A lot of uh, web-based products and other products have done things like given you a, a green, you know, a green, you know, pass or a red pass and an orange pass. Like we're, we're not really about having individuals display their own personal health information to the world, not even to one person. And it's certainly not available anywhere on the cloud. So, so it's, it's kind of cool because, you know, you just, you know, it's just like walking into the movie theater, you show your ticket and you walk on in. Uh, you, there's, there's, there's nothing more to it than that. Right. Okay. That makes perfect sense. 
you know, in, in uh, some bars and nightclubs, they have uh, a software product called Patron Scan. I don't know if you've seen that. The Patron Scan actually scans the I, your your ID, your California driver's license or Kentucky driver's license, or whatever, and and it, it knows which bars you've been to. Have you been kicked out of a bar, starting a fight, or you're a great patron? Um, do you foresee? I guess two part question for you, Sunita. Is is this way of life going to persist? Is it going to change the fabric of our society permanently? Uh, like, do we ever go back to the, you know, the crazy 90s and the 2000s where everyone was running free, going, having fun, going crazy? And and if it does, if, if yes, is there going to be a health checker like this at movie theaters, at sandwich shops and, that t and the like? That's a really good question. I mean, it... You probably know what happens every flu season, right? Everybody mm -hmm. gets sick. And that and one of the reasons is because people don't stay home when they're sick. I think, you know, this has made everybody that's an adult right now, it's made them very aware about how viruses transmit. And we're all gonna be a lot better off knowing that. I'm not sure if this ever becomes as commonplace as, you know, say wearing a seatbelt when you get in your car. Right, that's something that's a behavior that's that's about personal safety that's that's stuck and it's become second nature. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure that how, how long this this uh, memory will last in terms of this is the way we we carry on always. But at least I think until we find a vaccine and and we can move about uh, because we have that precaution in place. I think until then the notion of of doing a, a health pass and a safety check will be will be commonplace. When we started, you know, just a few months ago, it wasn't that common, but it, it's becoming very common now. The idea of it. Right. Speaking of that, does this exist in other countries that that I I don't know about? Um, are there health passes, safety checks in other countries that are being used on mobile devices? Is is this is this prevalent anywhere else? The concept is definitely, um, you know, uh, uh, prevalent in, in other countries as well. I think every every single country probably has some version of it, whether it's a mobile app or web form or a paper form or a, you know, a human being actually in, in, in many cases, um, you know, maybe like in hospitals and, and such, you'll literally have a, a person at the door, you know, screening people as they walk in. So I think some form of this exists. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, to what extent is it private? You know, much like Sunita uh, was saying, you know, having a human being ask you questions at the door about like, hey, have you been exposed? Or, you know, do you, do you have a cough? Can you taste food? That I think from a user perspective is a very different experience than, you know, even having the opportunity to check your symptoms at home in the privacy of your own home um, and always being given the most up-to-date, accurate information like that. That's just a different user experience. So some version of this exists, I believe, in all countries. Um, but I don't think that any of their solutions are necessarily as, you know, secure and private and accurate, I think, as ours are. Yeah, and I really love that, you know, <laughs> I love the metaphor. If, if, privacy, if the highest level of privacy is a 10, we're at an 11. That's pretty awesome. Um, and, I'm, and I believe that you've taken privacy as paramount to CV key. But there must be something you worry about. Cynthia, so let's say CV key, or, or maybe it's not CV key, maybe some other 
quote, health checker for access technology became the norm. Do you, do you guys ever envision what would be the dark side? Is there a dark side to it? Could there be a dark side? Do you worry about that? I mean, I, to, to those of you who've watched Black Mirror, there, there's <laughs> always kind of the, the law of unintended consequences, right? So, yeah, I, I think I, I'd be remiss to say if I thought that there was zero risk. Uh, I think a lot of it is about being thoughtful in the design of your product, right? And having a you know very very diverse set of people both working on the team as well as you know stakeholders you know that you interview during the process of you know developing your product to, to make sure that you account for a wide variety of voices and perspectives. So um, you know absolutely there's a risk. I mean and again this is kind of one of the reasons why you know privacy is very central to this product is because one of the most obvious um, you know dangers of any kind of you know symptom checker or you know health pass would be if the information got into the wrong hands um, or if it were exposed um, and you know you you risked having like you know a, a, you know different um, different groups of people being treated you know differently um, or you know being discriminated against because of something that was you know maybe like outside of their control um, you know in in a way that was not like scientifically um, you know uh, appropriate so absolutely there there are dangers but I think you know we do try to mitigate them by having a diverse set of um, you know, stakeholders. Yeah, that makes sense. Sunita, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would say, you know, for your employer, right, uh, at Spiro, you know, if they're going to ask you to use an app, you probably have quite a lot to say about it and quite a lot of influence, right, about whether you as a user want to use it or not. In many work organizations that, you know, the, the employee doesn't really have a lot of say, right? They, they need the job, they need the money, they're, they're one employee out of, you know, a, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand. And if their boss tells them, you know, this is your uniform and this is your app, that's what they're going to have to do. And so we really think a lot about, about I mean, we try to be thoughtful and we're, de we're definitely trying to have more broad perspectives so that that we designed this well from the outset, but we, we do think a lot about that case. I mean, you know, students and professors are quite outspoken and, and you know, they have adopted after having all of their concerns addressed, but you know, there's, there's many, many people and individuals who, who, who wouldn't speak up and a lot of what we do is, is trying to get that kind of feedback. That's great, and if you need more feedback, you know, Ha puts me in the bucket of the ladder of what you said. She just tells me what to do and says, do it, my little soldier. Don't ask questions. Shut up and do what I tell you to do and use this app. She does it all the time to me. I mean, it's, it's, she's, she's, you know, she's a real taskmaster. Uh, I'm kidding around. Uh, so, no, you're, you're right. I mean, that's, you're, you were thoughtful in starting at universities because, yeah, you know, I have a 20-year-old. She tells me exactly how she feels all the time very open mind, very, very opinionated, uh, which makes me a better person. Um, so I guess converse to that question, Sunita, uh, what if CV Key is highly successful? You know, there are what, a little over 18,000 cities and towns in America. What if they all adopted it and, and it was this thriving, awesome tool that you, you all created that was free and, you know, what, what do you envision? What does that look like? Do you open it up as an API that others can integrate? Like I was talking about PatronScan. Could PatronScan integrate this into their bar and nightclub already existing software POSs at sandwich shops, uh, restaurants, retail outlets, 
you know, I mean, look at all the cameras and I, IOT devices, you know, what would the, what would the product in the world look like if this was totally adopted and, you know, had a 99% penetration in cities and towns in America? Um, that's, that's a really great future to imagine. You know, so, you know, if the product is adopted in it, let's, let's just think about counties, right? There's 3,007 counties in the U.S. I had to check because, you know, I'm catching up on my American statistics as well. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, if, if, they, if, if a county adopted, what, what would happen there is that, you know, this is a tool for them to keep to manage their r naught. Right, so that that magic number of R naught being greater than one or less than one. So so when R naught is like one point one, they can use the app to tell people to all behave a bit more cautiously and get R naught under one, right? So that things can stay stay open. And then, you know, th that that would be you know that would be achieving the very first very first mission, right? Which is Ha have people go back to work, go back to their lives in, in ways that make sense and, and keep the most people safe and you know, stop our hospitals from being overrun. So that, that, that would be, that would be amazing if we can check off, you know, some number, you know, more than one county, you know, get on the way to 3007, that would be incredible. And, you know, and, and we're looking for community leaders to help us do that. Um, in terms of uh, others using what we've built, we are, we are very open to that. Uh, this project was designed as an, a project that would be open sourced. Mm. And uh, we, we, we still got a few, couple of steps to go before we open source, but all of the engineering has been done with that goal in mind so that others who have the wherewithal to, to build code can take what we've built and repurpose it for for other places, especially we think in other countries where they might not have built such a privacy architecture and they want to switch to something that's more sustainable and more in line with their values. So, so that, that's what we have on the roadmap and we, we, we would love to get there sooner rather than later. Um, as it relates to making a difference right now, you know, most communities don't have a bunch of engineers sitting around waiting to take open source software and do something with it. So, 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 so we're doing that, right? We're, we're, we're taking the software and we're, you know, essentially deploying it and customizing it for, for these different use cases. But, um, you know, volunteer engineers who, who want to sort of customize to a particular use case, that would be, you know, exactly what we're looking for. Um, so That's here I'm going to quickly call out. I'm going to quickly interject here, um, you know, on the go-to-market side. I would be remiss if I did not take this opportunity uh, as a general call out for um, anyone who you know leads a you know sort of community organization who'd be interested in you know using CVKey or introducing us to potential partners. Um, you know, I think on the distribution side, you know, would love to get this in the hands of more people. We are a 501c3, and I think one of the challenges that we have had, you know, as we've reached out to, you know, other commercial partners is that not all of them want to do things for free. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, if, if any of you are interested in working with us and helping to distribute a free solution, um, you know, do, do reach out to us through our website.
You know, that is a great call. So everybody listening um, now and in the future on demand of the factor engineers looking to help the mission growth, growth and expansion people, distribution, and of course, city officials and community leaders, please get in touch with these folks to help CV key. Now, I have a marketing idea for you. You guys should take some of your headshots. You've got, you know, the creator of Google Maps, you know, Cafe XCOO, et cetera, et cetera. You guys can have your headshots and kind of like David Hasselhoff, you could sign them in Sharpie. Yeah. You could say, if you help, you see, Sunita likes this idea. You guys could say, look, you know, you want, a, you want a little headshot hand signed by the creator of Google Maps or the chief product from Uber? Come, you know, write some code for us. And when you get, you know, when you ship this and ship that, we'll give you a headshot. Try it out. That's free. That was, that's my contribution to CV Key right there. Right. Well, I'm, I'm uh, writing that down right now. Okay, write that one down. Yep. Write that down because yep. you might forget. So half, half joking, half serious. Um, you know, Monica was, you know, formerly chief product at, at uh, Uber and, you know, Brian. Um, they, they are actually, you know, um, when organizations ask them to speak, you know, usually for professional reasons, they uh -huh. have actually been asking for donations to CV Key. There so, you go. Um, if there are other organizations that want, you know, exec leaders from, from Uber and Google to talk to them. Um, you know, please make a donation to CV Key and, and you'll be escalated in priority on their list. I love it. I think that's wonderful. And you get the Hasselhoff style headshot too, in addition to the speaking engagement. I mean, that, that's what's gonna level it up, Cynthia, the, the black and white headshot. Um, so that's probably a good point for this question. And audience, remember, you get to ask questions on the factor. So get your questions into Veronica. And um, I'm going to call on you here very shortly. And I think we do have some questions for you two brilliant ladies here in a second. Um, but I got to ask you this. So you have uh, dedicated your time to addressing an incredibly serious topic. Um, and you're building something extremely complicated. If your privacy is on 11, it's very, very complicated. Um, so you're dealing with a really serious issue. Uh, but everybody has to have fun. H how do you have fun when you, when you unplug from CV key? I know it's fun to work on the project, but outside of CV key, you know, how do you guys have fun? I've been playing board games uh, with my okay. friends and uh, mostly actually a lot of them in Bay Area because I, I was in the Bay Area for a decade. And so we've been doing a lot of remote board games. Um, I think I also just, uh, uh, you know, got a, the Kickstarter for uh, Frosthaven, which is a sequel to Gloomhaven, which is a board game version of D&D, &D, Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. Um, and Ooh, so I'm a lot, my son of, about lot that. of board gaming. Yeah, no, it's great. A lot of board gaming. Cindy, how do you have fun? And, and look, I, I don't want to be inappropriate here, but I, you're, you're dealing with coronavirus uh, and you're writing a technology that could potentially help our whole society reopen. You guys have any good jokes or, I mean, there's got to be some good coronavirus jokes or anything like that, Sunita? Oh gosh, you put me on the spot there. Uh, you know, I, I know you to, guys have yeah, some. Yeah, no. Well, you know, so so my husband is usually the one that has like a ton of inappropriate jokes, which you probably didn't want <laughs> told on your show, anyway. But um, you know, the the the, the fun thing about um, staying at home and sitting on Zoom sometimes has just been reconnecting with people. Yeah, and and it's uh. It's one of the, that's one of the habits I think that I hope will stick after this, which is it doesn't take that much time or effort or even a reason to call someone that, you know, you haven't talked to them in, you know, 
five years and you're right. like, you know what, I was thinking of you and how about we chat? And yeah, it's, just, it's become kind of normal and not too like weird to do that anymore. Yeah, no, you're right. That is, that is really meaningful. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I uh, heard a, a little news item recently, speaking of coronavirus, uh, you know, it's with everybody staying at home and, you know, Cynthia talked about her and her wife being in the condo together. What's happening is families are getting bigger. I mean, there's a baby boom happening right now. And so by 2033, the new generation will be called the quarantines. <laughs> Come on, that's my dad joke for, for coronavirus. All right, maybe that's a good spot for me to go to audience questions on the factor. Um, it looks like we've got some. So audience, this is your chance to ask Sunita and Cynthia, two brilliant minds from the CBK project, any question you would like, keep it cool though. And if you have a dad joke on coronavirus, it better be good at least or better than the one I just told. Um, so our first question comes from Eugene. Eugene, go ahead and unmute yourself. You have the podium and the microphone. Ask away. Um, how do you stratify? Obviously, this is a disease that has a, a, a different effect on seniors and people of, who have are immunocompromised. So when people sign up, uh, do you try and help them understand what their potential risk is by virtue of their background? Um, and also, how do you deal with the fact that we're dealing with a virus that people are spreading probably four days before they come, become symptomatic? So those two things seem to me to be somewhere problematic and taking out an app and saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm asymptomatic today. Um, so the real, the real issue is, you know, most communities now are able to understand on naught when you know where you are. But frankly, until we get to the point of a vaccine, uh, for most people, you know, social distancing, masking, and um, you know, washing your hands and staying away from your face is probably the one thing that you have to do all of the time. So okay, Eugene, thank you. So I guess the question is, how do you deal with people, who, you know, risk stratify users who are spreading the disease while being asymptomatic? Who wants to take that question? Yeah, I'll take that question. So uh, asymptomatic um, people, there's, there's really nothing that any technology can do to help identify those people. Like there's no like AI magic that we can predict that uh, this, this asymptomatic person is probably infectious. Uh, there's sort of no magic bullet there. And I, I don't, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's a really tough problem. Um, in terms of stratifying people, you know, if you think about, there's a whole bunch of people who, who are really risk averse and very cautious, right? If you are immunocompromised, you probably are already and were before this, before this pandemic as well. And so there's, but there's a whole, you know, I don't want to say the majority, but there's just, you know, the, in the curve, right? There's a whole bunch of people who are not that cautious and, you know, they're occasionally cautious and you know, there are people who wash their milk, you know, their milk cartons when they come home from the grocery store. And, you know, I mean, that's also not sustainable. And so what we're trying to do is have people be kind of, uh, have all of those people also be cautious and thoughtful and mindful about their, their own risk and their risk to others, right? Not their own necessarily risk of them getting personally sick, but, 
how their behavior impacts others around them. And so mask wearing, we're big supporters of mask wearing as well. We're actually thinking of a product that relates to mask wearing as well to try to encourage more people to wear masks in a non-confrontational way. So we've, we've all been to places where someone gives you that look, right? We're all busy trying to enforce each other. Like, you, you know, you're walking, walking your dog and somebody's walking the other way and they give you that look like they think you're not six feet apart or, you know, whatever, right? I mean, that is not a great environment, right? We're, we, sh we shouldn't be policing each other, right? We're, we're in this together. And that sense of community and the sense that we're supporting each other is better than the sense that we're policing each other. So that's one thing I really like about the app is that, you know, it's a scan, right? I'm going to hold up my phone. You're going to scan it. You're not going to give me an odd look one way or the other. And it's just a very neutral experience. And we're, we're hoping to bring that also to mask wearing. You know, a lot of people who are on the front line who have to deal with visitors and customers who, who don't want to wear a mask, that's not a great interaction. And so we're, we, we have an idea there around how we're going to help with increasing mask wearing and mask compliance, but do it in a way that's fairly neutral. Great. Our next question is from Mike Van. Mike Van, you have the mic. Remember, keep it succinct. Ask your question. Cool. Hi. Um, had some questions. I had a question around uh, thoughts of, uh, I guess, use of technology. So, uh, and how do you increase privacy? So, in Canada, they've developed an app around using Bluetooth technology, and in Asia, I've seen a lot of stuff using um, like GPS and Wi-Fi. So, what are some of your thoughts on uh, how we can improve it? Okay. Who's got that question? Yes. I mean, so. Yeah, I saw you on mute. Do you want to go ahead? Oh, I, I, I was, I was just going to say, um, you know, just to clarify your question, do you mean um, you're using existing technology to improve, you know, the Canadian apps specifically, or just generally, what types of things have we built in our app that improves privacy? I just wanted to clarify. Uh, things within your uh, your app that improves uh, privacy. Yeah. So, so. Uh, sort of a couple of different concepts. So one is that we have the entire, you know, the entire code base running on the phone. So you're not, not making calls to the cloud, to a cloud server to request information that the user needs. So simple things like if you are going to scan in at this particular place, we're not therefore able, this is no call to the server in the cloud that's going to identify that sorry it was mike yeah that mike yeah, was mike at van. this location yeah, mike van. yeah that, that mike was at this location and then he was at that location and then he was at the other location so because it's all running on your phone there's no location tracking or detectability in that way um the second thing was around the qr codes where um there's sort of a cryptographic sense of attestation where people run their symptom check, which to you looks just like a you know, normal app UI, but it produces a QR code that's readable by another phone, but which contains no personal information in it. So that's the other piece of it. And then in areas like notifications, we, you know, most apps that have notifications, they will put a, to a device token on your phone to be able to generate the notification that notification then again is identifiable back back to you if somebody really wanted to work hard to figure out who you are and where you were 
And so again, we don't use tokens on the phone. We, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that all the areas in which personal information or identifiable, identifiable information is usually leaked in software products that we're, that we're not doing those things. Okay, uh, one last thing you. that I would just add. Oh, to go that, add that, in. Um, Sorry, just based off of Mike's question, um, I think you also might be uh, thinking about some of the exposure notification app, uh, apps that are in play. Um, and so to be clear, CVKey, um, you know, the, the app that we're talking about today at least, is not an exposure notification app. This is a symptom checker and sort of kind of like pseudo access management app. Exposure notification obviously is something that, you know, we uh, you know, have done a lot of research on and are thinking deeply about. Uh, but that is not what we're talking about today. Great. And audience, remember, well, we've got a few more minutes for questions. I've got a few more. If you have a burning question, this is your chance to drop it in the Zoom chat, drop it to everyone so Veronica can, can filter that through. And if it's a really good question, we'll send you an awesome Sparrow hoodie swag. Ha will tell me to do it and say, listen, soldier, go do it. Just like Sunita outlined, it's pretty awesome. Just kidding, ha. All right, uh, next question comes from John Stern. John, you've got the microphone. Keep it clean, buddy. Go ahead. You gotta unmute, John. There we go. Um, if, if not from the rest of the world, I think we've seen probably from the NBA bubble over the past three weeks that this could be manageable if we had everything in place. And I feel with technology like yours, um, you know, this could be manageable and it's not a technology issue as much as a messaging or a communications issue. How, how can you um, combat that when you have the technology to beat something and it's more an adoption or messaging issue than a technology issue? Um, so I think this partly goes to our go-to-market strategy um, as well as the product side. So, you know, on the product side, part of it is around giving people positive nudges, right? So, you know, all of us, I think, have good intentions. All of us want to do the right thing. But, you know, do all of us always have the most accurate information at our fingertips at all times? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. There's so many different sources of information out there that can be easily overwhelming. So I think that's the first part, which is giving people the right information in a convenient form factor. Um, and then the second, and this sort of goes back to why we started off with universities, is kind of like the sort of peer pressure network effect, right? So when you have a critical mass, um, you know, highly sort of concentrated population in a relatively, you know, small geography that's all sort of very highly, you know, internetworked with each other, that's when you can start to drive some of those effects. And, you know, you make it like the cool new thing on campus, you market it heavily. And then again, with universities kind of being the backbone of their local communities in many cases, that can then kind of spread, um, you know, to, you know, the, the, the local bars um, or like the, the movie theater or, you know, maybe their families and, you know, have, uh, you know, have the app kind of, you know, um, grow virally through. Great. Uh, okay, our last question comes from Samir. Samir, you're unmuted. Take it away. Hi, um, this is actually Samira, Samira Bazaz. Hi, Sunita. Um, I had a quick question, and I think you might have kind of touched on it a bit earlier, and it's about some of the symptom tracker apps. Uh, sorry, it's not the symptom tracker. I think it's exposure notification apps. Uh, for instance, in Virginia, we have COVID-wise that's just being rolled out um, through our universities and our communities. 
what are your thoughts in terms of getting your type of product to integrate with some of these? Because I can imagine as a user, it's very difficult sometimes to distinguish what the two different apps are doing and how they're discrete. So for instance, if I've just downloaded COVID wise, I'm not even going to think to look at CV key, for instance, because I'm going to think, oh, I already have something on my phone that works and something on my phone that's supposed to tell me, am I doing the right thing? Am I exposed? Um, so how, what, you know, what are some of the ways we can talk to our community members to say, you know what, this is something discrete. Here is something else you may want to have on your phone that is augmenting a, a uh, you know, symptom tracker or an exposure tracker. Okay. And Samira, Samira, sorry, I mispronounced your name. Um, so it sounds like uh, the question to uh, the CV key folks is what tools and what methods can the citizens use to help spread the word on CV key and, and how do we get it out there? Well, and I think also how to make the distinction between exposure notification applications and symptom yeah. checkers. Right. So um, even, even in my mind, I'm not hundred percent clear yet. So, so, you know, for us and you're, and you're definitely not the only one. So that is absolutely um, a conversation that, you know, we actually have with probably every single one of our partners. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I feel like if we could go back and rename the product as not the exposure notification app, right? If that would fit in a little, you know, icon, that would be great. But uh, exposure notification is a big part of the solution. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, we, 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 re we really want to see the exposure notification apps get traction because peer-to-peer uh, -peer notification, if you have really been in, in contact with someone who tested positive, so contact traces, contact people when they've tested positive, and then the exposure notification then uh, looks back 14 days and pings everybody that was in, in range of that person for more than 15 minutes during that time. And so that's a really big deal. Um, what we're doing complements that. You know, the, a lot of what we hear from people is the, like, why is a headache a symptom of COVID, right? What's that got to do with COVID at all, right? And when people don't realize this, right, regardless of whether they've been notified by an exposure notification app or not, like they're going to be like, I'm fine, like chill, right? I'm not going to do anything different. And so there's a really big education piece of what CVKey does in the app, like as you're symptom checking, you're getting these little nuggets or, you know, teachable moments about, oh, the headache and, you know, why 14 days? That's a really long time to be isolating, isn't it? Like, surely two days is enough. Uh, you know, and most people, you know, they don't take their 10 days of antibiotics, right? They usually finish somewhere at four or five. But the four, <laughs> so we're, we're trying to take a lot of what the CDC says and they have phenomenal information. And, you know, we have an entire medical council uh, from across the country who, who help us to understand the, the science, but then we do a lot of the, you know, the work that, that most consumer apps do, which is turn that into use, you know, digestible and usable and impactful content and explain like why is it 14 days and why is staying at home for two days not really enough, right? Which are the locations where if you go there and you're symptomatic, 
which locations are the riskiest places for you to go, right? So like, don't, not everybody is thinking about this all the time, right? Like the grocery store is, is one of the, the toughest places to go because it's a really close space and people are touching a lot of products. Um, I think we all know, right, not to go to an elder care facility. But, you know, there's, there's plenty of places on that spectrum where people are not aware that if I'm symptomatic, you know, the right thing for me to do would be not to go there, right? And that this headache, the sore throat, the, the diarrhea, you know, I, mean, I mean, it's great not to have to shout out, hey, do you have diarrhea? No, no, I don't have it. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, there's a lot of education, which exposure notification doesn't touch on that at all. It just, it's not really changing behavior. It's really just pinging you when, when, when there's news for you. And so even there, I think people will be left wondering and scratching their head a little bit about what to do with that notification. Uh, speaking specifically to Virginia as well, we are actually piloting um, in a county in Virginia. I, I can't quite say which one because we're not quite ready to go public with that yet. Uh, but you know, we are we are talking to um, you know and piloting actively piloting the app uh, you know with a county in Virginia that is aware also of the COVID Wise app. And you know, through their own internal analysis, they have determined that there is a space for both of these apps to coexist. Uh, but you know, you are absolutely correct that there is often confusion between the two, and that just really speaks to our role in educating government officials about the nuances in technology. That's great. Yeah. Uh, this has been an amazing discussion, um, Sunita. If people want to help, what can they do? Uh, we would love volunteers. So everybody on this team is a volunteer, and uh, if they they want so. If, if you're an expert at what you do, whether it's customer support, software design, you're an engineer, you're a writer, a communicator, a grassroots organizer, all of, you know, if, if, if that's what you are and that's what you love and that's what you do, we totally could use your help. We have on our website a volunteer sign up link and you know, we're, always, we're always keen to see more volunteers join us. Uh, especially if, if you're passionate about solving this problem and, and wanting to just sort of whack-a-mole, right, on all the, diff all the different problems that you find day to day. Uh, it's, it's really satisfying to be doing that. It's also tough work, right, mentally tough as well. But, you know, it's, uh, can't really think of a better use of time if you have time at the moment. The second thing is, I think Cynthia mentioned it, is if you don't have time, uh, we are a nonprofit and, and donations are really welcome. They help us to you know, potentially do things like um, go into communities where we otherwise wouldn't. So that's, that's definitely another thing. That's wonderful. Well, I, for one, want to commend you for all the hard work you and the team are doing. Cynthia, Sunita, you are the factors that are remarkable in making CVKey go. Um, and I want to thank you for being on The Factor. Um, Cynthia, if people want to follow you or find you, what address, where do they go? I was actually literally just about to type into chat, uh, cvkeyproject.org. Uh, you'll also find uh, links there to um, you know, all of the so social media, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, but cvkeyproject.org cvkeyproject.org and at cvkeyproject on the socials uh, and do type it into chat. Oh, there it is right there. Thank you, Veronica. 
Uh, it's been so great having you both. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, Sunita, make sure that we get your hubby's coronavirus jokes to me. So um, the, the good ones and, you know, how, whichever stripe they are. And then Cynthia, I'm going to leave it to you to get me that Brian black and white Hasselhoff style signed uh, eight by 10 for my wall here. Uh, thank you, audience, especially for attending The Factor Live. Really appreciate it. We will post this episode of The Factor online next week. You can always follow me at Sunny Mayuba at Sparrow Ventures, um, and this will be online to share. Please, everybody, donate, follow, support, volunteer. One of the best things you can do, get involved, reach out to these folks. You can work with some of the best talent in the world um, and do something really great for the planet at the same time. So please do get involved and volunteer. Uh, be on the lookout and sign up for episode five of The Factor. Uh, Sunita, Cynthia, again, thank you for being The Factors. And until next time, everybody, stay safe, never give up. And if you're an awesome company that's making the world a little bit better and you're looking for investment, you can always send me a deck as well. Everybody, thank you. See you next time.